Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Council of Elrond, a Lord of the Rings podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the technologies and techniques which Jackson and his team use in the creation of what is, in our opinion, the greatest trilogy of movies ever made. The Lord of the Rings famously won 17 Oscars over the three movies, including an incredible 11 Oscars for the Return of the King movie, an all-time record tying with Ben-Hur and Titanic. Among the many Oscars won were the categories of cinematography, costume design, makeup and visual effects. Today, we're going to look at some of the work that went into achieving this impressive sweep of Academy Awards. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on any and everything discussed in today's episode, so please get in touch on all social media platforms. So, the Lord of the Rings director Peter Jackson is famous for his use of practical sets, makeup and optical illusions, and the combination of these three led to a whole array of Oscars and the most incredibly stunning visuals ever seen on film, even 20 years on. They exaggerate. However, it was not all practical sets and makeup that were used in the creation of these movies. And today, we're going to be taking a look at some of the technologies used in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, along with practical tricks and techniques employed by Peter Jackson, which resulted in the masterpiece that is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Sweet. Uh, yeah, pretty sweet. <laughs> I want to start off today's episode by looking at an amazing software that was developed by Weta Digital, specifically for the Lord of the Rings. So, um, first of all, Dave, are you familiar with Weta? Do you know anything about Weta? Yeah, the Weta Workshop. That's where that was the that's the New Zealand place that did all the building of the props and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. So, of course, from watching the extended versions of Lord of the Rings, or more specifically the uh, the behind-the-scenes DVDs that come with the extended versions, uh, there's a lot of stuff that they show you from Weta workshops. And I was really familiar with I was really familiar yeah. with Weta workshops where we saw the designs of the the masks and the different um, costumes and swords and things like that that were built. But also, Weta Digital is a specific uh, yeah. side company which is uh, set up. For all of the digital work, and obviously it's by the same by the same company. Were they set up for Lord of the Rings? Was it kind of created for Lord of the Rings, or was it created beforehand? It's a good question. I know that uh, I know that Peter Jackson had some. Uh, so Peter Jackson is involved with Weta Digital. It's I think yeah. he is. I think he's the owner of that company. And I know that I've seen him speaking in an interview, and he talks about how he had he started off by buying loads of computers. Uh, that all were using this type of software for a, for a movie he had for one of his horror movies, and then they had okay, all of this yeah. they had all of this uh, equipment and all of these computers lying around, and basically uh, they were paying huge bills on all of the computer software, and they were like, we need to put these to use. So they were trying to find uses for them, and that's how they kind of ended up developing some of the softwares that became the most important softwares for Lord of the Rings. So. Um, I, I can't tell you if it was built specifically for Lord of the Rings or basically, it, but it it definitely happened around the time of the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. I'd say mid nineties to late nineties. Yeah, because I think they use they had Weta workshops working on uh, Mortal Engines and uh, King Kong as well. So they had the designs were all done in Weta, and I think you know that guy Richard hmm. Taylor, the guy with the kind of quirky voice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Welcome to Weta workshops in the year. <laughs> we're going to look at the designs. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh katie taylor's dad <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah <laughs> um yeah i think i think he worked on uh one or two of the other movies as well uh could um, be wrong there but 
Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, uh, since uh, since the Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson, as I said, he's the owner of this uh, workshop, I believe, or of this company. So he's used it in loads of other films, and they've gone on to use some of the software in other films like World War Z, and uh, mm. I can't remember. There's a whole list of other big big name movies, as you said, maybe King Kong and things like that. Actually, I, just, I was just watching a, an interview with Peter Jackson the other day, and he spoke about how... Um, as you do uh, on the on the yeah that's 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 what I do in my spare time, folks. Um, uh, he was speaking about the night of the Oscars when they won like all eleven Oscars of the Return of the King, and he said that that night they were going out to celebrate, but he had a meeting at eight o'clock the next morning for King Kong. So he was like, Lord. "All right, I'll go out, have a glass of champagne, and then back to, back home to bed and up to work the the next morning." And everybody was like. What a you know what a work ethic that he had. What a guy! Uh, like after winning eleven Oscars, he couldn't go out and like spend the night partying because he had to get up and uh, have a meeting about King Kong. So um, yeah, work workhorse. Leaves more time for drinking. Anyway, speaking about Weta Digital, the first so- well, the first thing that I want to speak about is the main software that they developed for, and this software they specifically developed for Lord of the Rings, which was called Massive, is the name oh, of the yeah. software, and I'm sure you've heard about it. But to explain what Massive is. Basically, it is uh, it's used when they want to film huge numbers of people in scenes like with giant battles where they need to show tens of thousands of characters, etc. And in this software, each little computer character, each little avatar has its own brain and they can make their own choices and decide where to walk and what actions to take. So every little guy is, is doing his own thing and he's... Uh, it's not just replications of loads of like they, they, it's not just we do a hundred things and then multiply them. Every single one of those guys is doing his own uh, his own thing. Also, what's interesting about it is that you know in some games where you need to build an avatar at the beginning and you're trying to like make it make the avatar look like you and you can mm. like make the eyes wider, make the nose bigger, make the jaw more square, etc. There's hundreds of thousands of little changes that you can make to the characters, and they made sure that, for example, in the Battle of Helm's Deep. Every single Urukai had a very tiny different specification in their appearance. So, in oh. fact, n- not even one of those. Uh, th- there's no two Urukai in that battle that looks that look exactly the same. They're all very slightly different in their own different ways. So that's, that's just awesome. a kind of cool little thing as well to kind of make them more unique. So what's cool is that the characters are taught a particular fighting style each. So if you think of like Neo in the Matrix, where he learns how to do like jujitsu or whatever, that's kind of like these guys. So they program all of the Urukai to, to learn their Urukai fighting style. And they program all the elves to learn their elvish fighting style. And so they learn hundreds of different moves and uh uh, techniques in their particular style and then they're given the freedom to go off and fight and do whatever they want but like using that particular style so uh, that's kind of really cool as well and yeah. then basically what they do is they just set the program up with the two different armies and they click run and they allow the program to run uh, on its own and so the crew have no control over the outcome they just click play and let it the whole thing go itself and they don't know what's going to happen. I think I remember Peter Jackson talking about that, actually. Someone was asking him about this massive program, and they were saying, you're not really directing, you're actually just trying to capture. Exactly. You're not actually like programming these to do certain things, you're just kind of running the program and hoping that whatever you film is good. And I don't know, they might have had to do a couple of takes, and sometimes they're like, oh, that looks perfect. Uh, But... (laughs) 
But and, and, yeah. I, and I knew that you were going to start bringing up Massive when, when you said they used this program on World War Z. I've never seen World War Z, but I just know it's millions of zombie bodies just running around like headless chickens. So that reminded me of, of Massive. Yeah, there is a massive number of zombies <laughs> in that movie. Hey. Um, yeah, but you're correct in what you're saying that uh, they said that there's a couple of times where, for example, in the Battle of Pelennor Fields, when they had... They had about 6,000 horses and Rohan riders charging into a huge army of orcs. And they basically just had to set up the parameters and, uh, Hope. you know, g- give them the ac- give them the commands and then let the action unfold itself. And they kind of just recorded it while it happens. So they had to just set it up and click render and then wait. And they said that for spe- specifically for that battle, the rendering took three oh days oh and they had to wait God. for three days. And come back and hope that it looked pretty cool. And uh, I don't know if it was like their first attempt or if they needed to do it many times. But basically, they didn't have any control of exactly what was going to happen. So, uh, but it worked out pretty well that they got these 6,000 horses crashing into a sea of orcs. And yeah. it just looked, looked incredible. The, like the formation that they go at, the way it's kind of like semicircular, And then it kind of points in the middle at the very top. Mm. And then the way it kind of breaks out just the last minute before they start crushing into the orcs I don't know did, did they plan any of that or or was it just they hoped and it looked cool I don't think so I don't think so they they definitely set up and they did like they ran loads of simulations before and um just to kind of get a bit of practice and to see what ways the kind of battles would unfold naturally so um they actually there was a funny story that Peter Jackson spoke about in one of the first simulations that they ran that they they ran like a small level battle with like, you know, a couple of hundred versus a couple of hundred and they clicked like uh, run. And then they found that what happened was a huge portion of the uh, individual characters after a few minutes, they just turned around and ran away because they could see that it was a dangerous situation and they didn't want to get killed. So they just ran away because Program they were too well. They were too intelligent. And so Peter Jackson said that they had to dumb those guys down and program them and tell them, t- you need to stay and fight. And so then <laughs> that's, 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 that's how they managed to do it. So uh, that's, that's how really that's how Saruman programmed his Urukai. Like they weren't designed to turn and run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that's uh, that's the first that's, that's uh, cool. technology that I wanted to speak about. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really cool one. Mm, yeah that's class and i think that was pretty much like invented but you know i know massive was invented for these movies but i don't know was there any other programs that could compete at all on a on a scale that they did having so many artificial intelligent um creatures or 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 people on screen at the same time i just don't think anyone could do it so it was vital that they were able to invent massive for these movies it was a massive achievement. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a massive step forward in technology. I suppose we had a similar technology in games like Age of Empires and mm. those types of formation games where you select your army and you say, go and fight them guys and take over that land and a load of characters will go and fight. But they all looked like they were basically doing the same thing. So this was just another step forward to get more individuality for each mm. of those little guys. But yeah, that's um, that's massive. So uh, fantastic technology, which has now been used in many other movies since. I think I'm quite ready for another adventure. So the next thing I want to speak about is obviously one of the greatest technological achievements in Lord of the Rings. What do you think that's going to be? 
Oh, um, motion capture? Gollum? Gollum, exactly. Motion <laughs> capture, yes. It's a bit too much detail, but I'm oh, just sorry. saying. The, crea- the creation of the character of Gollum. And we know that um, if Gollum hadn't been performed and uh, created as well as it was, uh, then the, the whole trilogy would have like fallen flat on its face and it wouldn't have, uh, I don't know, it wouldn't have achieved the same heights uh, yeah. that, it, that it did. They needed Gollum to be successful for the films to be successful, really. They really did. And it's like, he's still... In the movie, he's not photo real exactly. He's kind of still a little bit kind of cartoonish, but it's so believable that you just you kind of allow that, and you're yeah. you're happy to like you know his eyes are too big for a, for a, a real thing, but you, you just kind of you let that go because it's so well done and the physics works so well in yeah. uh, the movement of his hair and the movement of his cloth and things like that. It just it's so it's so fantastic that you just kind of let it go. Um, but obviously Andy Serkis is an incredible actor who brought the character of Gollum or Smeagol to life. Um, his performances in the Lord of the Rings trilogy helped make it the success that it is to this day. And we have often spoken about how another actor may not have been able to bring this character to life in the same way. However, we must also note that the cutting edge technology used by Jackson and crew was something that was never done before. So they didn't even have a template to follow. They just made it up as they went along and the results were extraordinary. Mm, genius. And in order to shoot a scene with Gollum, they were required to shoot first with the three actors, Frodo, Sam and Gollum together. Then they needed to paint Gollum out in post-production. And finally, they had to recreate the scene with Gollum using a whole host of motion capture cameras and technology. Um, Andy Circus needed to reshoot all his scenes alone months after everyone else had finished their scenes and pretend that the actors were there with him. So he wore motion capture suits, which were covered in reflective dots, carefully positioned at all the joints, and then they were picked up by dozens of cameras all around the studio. Um, and the Gollum avatar actually moved in real time, according to Circus's movements, so they could watch his performance live and in real time, see the scene unfolding on the monitors. So oh, while he was running around the studio, the the directors and the uh, the you other see crew it on members, the monitor, could, like. they could they could they were watching the monitors and they could see him running around, uh, like beside them. And on the monitors, they could see Gollum running around, and uh, that's that's really cool as well. That's class. I actually remember um, watching the video before. Uh, shout out to the Corridor Crew if anyone has seen them. Mm. They they do a lot of visual effects uh, videos. But they did one on Lord of the Rings. Actually, I think they did two on Lord of the Rings. But that was, I think that was the first time where I saw them talk about how they had three different, or they took three different scenes, or three different shots for each Gollum scene. One with the characters, one with Gollum, and, and one with Andy in, uh, in in the studio. And I think they kind of zoomed in on that scene where he's like going down the river trying to catch a fish. And they're show, they kind of zoom in and slow down the splashes. And they show like the splashes are a little bit out of sync and you can only see it when you really slow down the footage. But they were just hailing how incredible that shot was. And it was just a complete filming feat. Uh, I really, really enjoy those That's guys. That's class, yeah. Yeah, those guys, Corridor Crew, yeah, shout out to them. I've seen a lot of their stuff as well and they they break it, break it all down fantastically well. And yes, I, I that scene where... Gollum is splashing around in the water trying to catch the fish. That's they actually got Andy Circus to act this scene out and to splash around in a shallow rocky river, throwing himself over rocks and pretending to catch a fish. And then, then they had to paint Andy Circus out of each of those individual yeah. uh, camera shots, which is painstaking work. 
So, Especially with water uh, as well. That's exactly it. Normally what they did for all of the other scenes, they painted him out and the background, they kind of blend in the background from other parts of uh, what they could see around. But in this situation, when the background is actually moving because it's water, they were just like, it's it's such a huge amount of work in order to do that. The volcano pool is nice and sweet. Also speaking about Gollum's facial expressions, they placed dots all over Andy Serkis' face and they recorded a staggering number of facial expressions to be used as references for Gollum's reactions. And for Gollum's facial expressions, they didn't have any digital mapping technology back then, so they had to create individual points of reference on the computer and had 132 control points that were individually moved by hand to change each expression. And this resulted in about two weeks of work for two seconds worth of screen time. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. That so. is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because when you see the behind the scenes of modern movies and they're like, oh yeah, so like for a Disney movie, for example, where it's all cartoon, they they kind of program in all the facial expressions and they, they can just like pick and choose the templates from uh, from doing one design. It just seems so normal now, but back then they had to kind of like hand do everything and it just makes it seem so much more impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's really when you go back and watch the the behind the scenes, you really get an idea of the scope and the scale of what of what they actually did and mm. how they achieved it. It was really, really amazing. The final and possibly most important characteristic that Andy Serkis brought to the table was the voice of Smeagol and Gollum. He spoke like this for all of the scenes he shot while he was in character. But of course, he had to go back afterwards and re-record his voice in post-production. Yeah. And anyone who has ever tried to replicate the voice of Gollum will know that it's not an easy sound to make. And this strange vocal performance adds so much to the character. And thankfully, in the Melonheads, we have our own <laughs> little uh, Gollum or Andy Circus. We have our own Gollum Circus, precious. <laughs> so uh, Dave has, uh, over many years, mastered the voice of Smeagol. So um, maybe I'll just... Go over to you every now and again, Smeagol, and I'll ask you, what do, What did you think of uh, Andy Serkis' performance? Oh, yes, very good performance, precious, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a dancing monkey, like, go on, monkey, do your little... Do it! Do your little do it dance for and me. get out. <laughs> exactly, this is uh, every now and again what I want to be entertained. I just call Dave and ask him to give me a little Smeagol impersonation. <laughs> and uh, he does a good Gimli as well. Isn't that right, Gimli? Do I? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just hear a little like. Rah! So, Rah! Sorry, sounds wrong. <laughs> I always think they're good. Yeah, I remember seeing the behind the scenes, and that that must be awful on the voice. Like sometimes when I try and do a little impression for a couple of seconds, my voice is like torn to shreds. And I remember they created this like juice for for Andy Circus, or it was like a mixture of tea and honey and they, I, th- I think they call him mm. called a Gollum's drink or Gollum's juice or something and he just used to go around with it on set but another interesting thing <laughs> cool you mentioned that they had to go and re-record it in the studio all the vo- all the all the voices um mm-hmm. on Dominic Monaghan's Instagram where people ask him questions all the time uh somebody asked him something about how many scenes did you have to like re-record in the studio with your voices or or maybe no I think they might have just said tell me an interesting fact about Lord of the Rings or something like that and he said 
every single word you hear in Lord of the Rings was recorded in a studio. Every single thing, everything you hear has been re-recorded in a studio, which blew my mind. I was like, I know they had to do some. I just thought it'd be filler. But apparently the whole thing is just like recorded in a studio and they had to like mm. mime it or not mime it, but you know, they had to sync it up with the with the film. Yeah, they, they had to like go back and like say the same sentences, the same lines again and then put them in at the exact right time. So yeah, I'd, I'd heard that before. That's a... Uh, that blows I my think mind. That, that, that probably happens in quite a lot of movies though, I'd imagine. Where yeah, the, but... There's a lot of like background noise and things like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd understand it for certain scenes and sometimes you can see it, but like when you think of a scene like... Pippin and Gandalf sitting down at Minas Tirith when it's mm. quiet. I can imagine they would have had a what's what's a boomer mic and just hanging a, over a boom boom mic yeah. a boom mic <laughs> boomer. Mm. Um, yeah, you would have just <laughs> imagined ba- baby that that boomer mic. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, that is that's really interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. Like he could be wrong. <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think he probably like, you know he he likes to know what was going on behind the scenes as well. Mm. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I I believe I believe whatever Dominic Monaghan says uh, to be fact and gospel. Hmm. So the next area of technology that I want to talk about is the use of blue screen in the Lord of the Rings. So I think I'm going to mention a couple of uh, areas where we see blue screen and put it over to Dave and see if he can tell me anything about those scenes or if he knows anything about those scenes. So the first scene that I want to talk about is where. Bilbo welcomes Gandalf into Bag End and he takes his hat and staff from Gandalf. Okay. Uh so we're talking about Can you tell us can you can you tell us anything about that scene or anything about the use of the blue screen in that scene, Dave? Yeah, I think from what I know that uh, they built two different bag ends. They built one to, to they built one that was the size of normal humans, so that not Martin Freeman, whatever what was his name? Bilbo Baggins. Um, Ian Holm Ian Holm for all his scenes so that it seemed like it was the perfect size for him and then they also built a small one for Gandalf so he could like crouch around in it and they basically Mm -hmm. filmed both of those and they stuck them together right yeah basically well uh, for a lot of them for some of them pretty pretty much for a lot of a lot of what what was going on so um for example, a lot of the scenes where you see uh, Gandalf and uh, Ian Holm as Bilbo together in Bag End, they're not really filming together. Those scenes are being shot by yeah, they're not they're not actually together at all. And maybe Gandalf, maybe there's somebody standing in for Ian Holm just to give Gandalf something to look at uh, when he when he's acting, but and vice versa with with Ian Holm when he's on his own. Um, but they shot a lot of those scenes separately. Mm. Um, not all of them. Some of them they shot together. But uh, for specifically the scene where Bilbo and Gandalf are walking in the door of Bag End for the first time, and and Bilbo takes Gandalf's hat and his and his staff, that's really incredible. Because oh, for I most remember. Of the scenes, I think I remember one thing about it. They, I remember. <laughs> I remember. Don't they? So obviously they have to interact. So he has to mm. give him his that's, hat that's, and his yeah. walking stick or his staff that's that, that's my question because generally in these scenes yeah they're they're being shot separately so they can't interact they can't touch they can't so how did they manage to pass the hat and scarf the hat and scarf and i said the hat and staff from gandalf to bilbo now i think i saw this on a corridor episode but i can't really remember because it's been months since i've seen it but i'm gonna guess that like they filmed both of them individually. So first they, they had Gandalf with the hat and a walking stick. 
and then just handing it to nothing and then paused and basically took away the stuff and then unpaused. I feel like they did they did something where it jumps in his hand. Like if you slow down the movie really, really slowly, the, the walking stick kind of mm. changes position or moves in his hand, but it's so unnoticeable to the naked eye. Lidlusen. <laughs> Reading in flame. <laughs> uh, yeah, reads in flame. Uh, you're, you're, you're pretty much on the money there where they... So when Gandalf was recording his scene, he was on his own and he basically took off his hat and held his staff and kind of kind of put it sort of turned around slightly so that you couldn't see both of his hands because of his hat was in the way. And then he passed it to Ian Holm, who wasn't actually there beside him. And another person came in and just kind of grabbed it and took it away. Mm. And then vice versa, when Ian Holm was was, uh, acting, they set it all up so that Gandalf would be exactly in that mark. And they just had a statue or like a a mannequin holding out a staff uh, with a fake arm. And they got Ian home to walk in and take it from that fake arm Class. and it was just so perfectly lined up that uh, it was almost uh, it was almost unnoticeable and and they would have had to had a, a much bigger staff and hat as well wouldn't they of course of course and everything then like so the then all the <laughs> well every single scene shot in Lord of the Rings with like the hobbits they needed to have for example, if they were having a meal, they needed to have giant plates for the for like the big, uh, like, you know, they need to have a, a big plate and a small plate, a hobbit mm. size one and a, and a real size one. So, um, which is also really cool. Hobbits really are amazing creatures. The second scene that I want to speak about where blue screen was employed was the scene of the fellowship running across the bridge of Khazad-dum. Do you know anything about that shot, Dave? Oh, I know that shot. Um, oh, Gonna guess, like I watched the Fellowship, obviously, like less than two or three days ago, and I think, <laughs> I think that uh, that's one of first the first time, <laughs> yeah, first time. I think that shot is actually one of the more noticeable CGI shots in the three movies. But, but I think I remember hearing that every single one of the characters is um, CGI, like yeah, done on done exactly. on a machine and. That's correct. Yeah, I was about to say were they done on the massive program, but they probably weren't. No, I don't think that was massive uh, using that scene. But in that scene, they're all. It's a shot from overhead looking Mm. down on the bridge of Casadoma, and all the characters are running across. And all of those characters in that scene, they're all CGI. There's nobody there that was actually a real person. Yeah, but. I don't think it's that noticeable. It's actually so amazingly done. No, it's and especially not. especially when you see the cloaks of like the hobbits when they're running. The the way that the technology that's used in those CG um programs, the the physics is so well done that it looks so real. It looks yeah. photoreal, basically. Yeah, but I think that um they look really well and actually I don't know if I noticed that until I saw that behind the scene on I don't know where we where we first saw it, but uh I think it's the physics is perfect but it's just the way they run they kind of they all run in the same kind of manner and i just can't imagine elijah Mm. wood with his two fists in the air just yeah you know i don't know it's something quirky about it there is definitely i think it's like um one of the first people to cross the bridge maybe is like boromir or somebody and he's running with a limp though as well however so one of them has a definitely 
One of them definitely has a different uh, style of running, but then I think all the hobbits kind of are very similar. Like yeah. you can see they're, they're looking down on top of the plan view. And yeah, like, maybe it's just the hobbits that throw it off a little. Yeah, maybe a little bit. It's it's a little but bit. You're right. It's definitely not noticeable. It's a little bit noticeable when you've already seen the behind the scenes and you know that that's uh, CG. But um, if you weren't yeah. looking out for it, it's really really um, it's not noticeable at all. Mm. Um, another scene where we see blue screen being employed is where Frodo runs into the mouth of Mount Doom. Um, do you know what I'm talking about there, Dave? The mouth of Mount Doom, the, the volcano, the, like door, the, the door. Sorry, the, the, the door of Mount I don't know why I said the mouth. It's, it sounded cooler in the time. <laughs> the foot of Mount Doom. Um, well, it's like a big giant, like, I don't know. I think it's like, um, you know, the cave in Aladdin where like the, the lion opens his mouth. There's this big like, oh, sort the of, cave uh, of wonders. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I just, yeah, the yeah. cave of wonders. Exactly. But it's like this big mouth. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so blue screen was used there. I'm guessing that that was like a set and it was just the mouth or the, the entrance of the door or whatever. And they had loads of blue screen around it so that lava could spit out of it when they jump. No, it's it's actually, if you watch uh, if you watch it back, that's a more noticeable scene where, for example, we said that the characters running across the bridge of Kazadoom is not so noticeable. When you see Frodo running across the rock into the, the, the opening of the... Oh, uh, sorry, going in. Of, of I, I was Doom. thinking of them jumping out when the lava was spitting out. No, no, I'm saying when he's running in. Okay, I'm just trying to think of that. Uh, what, is he just another fully CG character running into the cave? No, he's Elijah Wood shot that scene, but when you're watching it, you can actually see his feet kind of sliding and gliding across the across the rock. So it's All it's right. it's a little bit obvious that it's uh it's not real. He's not running, so where he's running is not what you can see in the final representation. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit more obvious there. It's not perfectly done, but uh, also in the Lord of the Rings uh peter jackson said that they had a huge list of things that was the list with the the title of the list was could be better where okay. they had a huge a huge list of things where they were like okay we could come back to that if we have time and we could like you know it could be better but mm. for the moment it's okay and so they said like because of time restraints they just couldn't go back and perfectly fix everything that they wanted so that was one of the things that could have been better but it definitely uh, worked well for for what they needed yeah yeah that's that's what we were going to name our podcast as well wasn't it could be better. <laughs> That's what some people tell me. Anyway. <laughs> Every episode. What do you think of the episode? Ah, it was good, but could have been could better. Could be better, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I'm, I'm sure he's an absolute perfectionist. And, you know, if he had all the time in the world, he probably would have gone back and redone these. Or not redone, but like perfected these shots. But uh, mm. yeah, at least he had his priorities. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um... Then the next thing that I want to speak about is when Boromir is carrying Frodo in the Mines of Moria. And again, when we're looking at the big people and then the hobbits interacting with each, with each other in scenes, very often the scenes are shot using doubles or they're shot using blue screen. So mm. obviously Bilbo handing Gandalf his staff and hat, sorry, the opposite way, Gandalf handing Bilbo his hat, his hat and staff was a huge feat and people were like amazed at how they were able to do this. People that know how blue screen works. Mm. Similarly, Boromir actually carries Frodo in the mines. So how did they achieve that shot? So what they actually did in that scene then was uh, Boromir actually carried Frodo's uh, mini double and then they had Frodo 
shoot that scene separately on his own and they just cut his face out and stuck his face on top of the other uh All right, on, cool. on, on onto the final thing where 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 um Barmer was carrying the other guy. What so, scene uh, is this? Is this is this when they're trying to jump across the big crack in the stairs? I can't remember where Barmer's carrying Frodo. Uh, there's one where he picks up the two hobbits and jumps across the stairs. That's the but that's Merry and Pippin, isn't it? That he picks up yeah. in that moment. Um, no, I think it's a scene where he's actually running out of of the mines after Gandalf has died, where he pick where he grabs him and picks him up. Do you remember where Frodo? tries to go and get Gandalf where Gandalf is falling yeah. and they have to like restrain Frodo and they grab him and they pick him up uh, yeah. and they, they carry him and they drag him out of uh, out of the mines of Moria. Wow, I I would have never noticed any any like face digitally put on Frodo. Now I'm definitely going to notice that the next time I watch it. Yeah, I've never noticed it in the watching but just as I was researching this podcast uh, that was one of the the moments that they mentioned was a, a big sort of again a, a big feat of uh I don't know technology being used, and they were really mm. they were really delighted with the the outcome. So yeah, cool. Another thing that is obvious is where we see the shot of the fellowship all standing together for the first time. So uh, again, that was shot uh, on blue screen of the the guys at the back row. So you had uh, like Baromir and Aragorn and Legolas and Gandalf all standing together, and they were shot at one at one stage. And then all of the hobbits and Gimli all shot together at a completely different stage. However, one thing that worked out really well was that Gimli, or John Rhys-Davies... He was taller is anyways. The, ...is the tallest of all the, the cast members. He's a really big guy. I think he's like six foot two. And so when you watch, when you see that image of all the Fellowship standing together, you can see the hobbits in the front row with kind of Gimli just slightly taller, kind of mm. between hobbits and men, and then the men in the background. So Gimli is actually just a really big man. Yeah, his, so his worked ratio out really, worked really well. out well. Yeah. It, it worked out perfectly for that shot. So uh, that was really cool. So they just got him to stand beside the hobbits and uh, he's just towering over them anyway. <laughs> so um, that's really cool as well. Young rascals! A merry hunt of us on and now we find you feasting and, and smoking! So the next thing I want to talk about is the explosion of the eye and of Baradur. So uh, this again is one of my favorite all-time explosions that we see in a movie. The way that we, it explodes, we get that circular yeah. that radial explosion and all of the building kind of, all of the tower blows away to one side of the screen and we get this incredible, like, uh, I don't know, just the sound and everything that goes into it. It just looks spectacular. And the Tower of Baradur explodes into a million pieces. It's just really, really amazing. So uh, that's obviously an incredible um, shot in the Thor of the Rings scene. And what do you think of that scene? Yeah, I'm just trying, as you were explaining it to me, I was trying to remember if I had ever seen a behind the scenes of that. And I think I might have, but it was a long, long time ago. So I know nothing about it. Uh, I, I don't remember anything about how they did that shot. But yeah, it's it's so cool. It's such a satisfying explosion so satisfying just the way that it kind of sucks in things like a energy force field and then just blows them out and yeah you can you can, f- you can see the actual like noise <laughs> as it like hits yeah. everyone it's class it's like a sound yeah there's like a wall of sound just comes to hit you and if you if when you watch that on surround sound if you've got a good surround sound system it's just like it's incredible it's such an experience actually speaking of uh surround sound systems and ex- and incredible experiences and whatnot i just want to shout out one of my friends chris johnston uh every time that they get or they want to test out 
sound system, he always plays the very start of the Fellowship of the Ring for that one scene where Sauron gets killed and then there's a big and like the sound systems it, <laughs> he said it's the perfect way to test out any sound system so yeah there you go very good good advice good advice thank you chris so um for the explosion of the tower of baradur and the explosion of the eye uh, they built a large scale model of the tower of baradur but they didn't know how they were going to blow it up um then this was uh, in December and everyone took a break for Christmas and they said their goodbyes and they all left. But one guy called Gray Horsefield, who's an absolute hero, what? Uh, who's a Weta Workshop member in the conceptual digital visualization department, stayed and decided that instead of taking a break for Christmas, he was going to stay behind and CG model the entire Tower of Baradur. Oh, what a legend. This involved over 1,500 hours of sculpting and model making, molding and painting. So when everyone returned, he was like, here's the CG model. Now we can blow it up and control every particle in the explosion. Wow. Merry Christmas to everyone. What a legend. Yeah. What what's, an what's his name? Legend. Gray Horseman. Gray Horsefield. Also has Gray. a cool name. Is his, is his first name Gray? Gray. G-R-A-Y. Yeah. And his surname is Horsefield. I know, yeah. <laughs> That's like uh, Sean Astin's like foot masseur was like Sean Footman. Do you remember? No, it was it was Sean Foot. Sean Foot, yeah, the guy that uh, that like helped Sean put on his prosthetic foot. His name was Sean Foot. Not just for Sean Astin, but for all the hobbits, he yeah. was uh, he he did the. Um, but especially Sean. <laughs> That's what I like. Especially Sean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sean yeah. Foot. That's, That's how he got the job. It was like uh, Sean Foot. I only speak those two were <laughs> exactly yeah that's a really interesting fact as well that's really cool that uh the guy who was in charge of all of the hobbits feet uh well, his name was sean foot so um that was really cool <laughs> that's my name and my profession <laughs> yeah exactly what do you do sean foot okay cool. <laughs> well, actually something else that's really really cool about uh the 3d model or the cg model of barador is that if you go to sketchfab.com or if you just google Baradur 3D model you can find the actual 3D model of Baradur and you can play around with it you can spin it around and Deadly. look at it from those different angles and zoom in you can change the colors and uh, it's it's really cool can you I've blow got it up lots of I've got lots of fun out of it unfortunately you can't well I don't know I haven't <laughs> looked into that maybe you can blow it up but uh, no I think you can just uh, view it for um, like the way that it is but uh, no blowing oh, it up very good unfortunately not but um I've had some fun uh, playing around with that model, so it's really, really cool. Thank you, Grey Horsefield. <laughs> Hero. <laughs> Ride the ruin and the world so uh, the next thing that I want to talk about is looking at the practical sets and the practical tricks that were involved in the filming of The Lord of the Rings. So we've already spoken about the technology that was used in uh, some of these amazing scenes. But now let's look at just little tricks of the trade that uh, Peter Jackson was able to use because of his knowledge of filmmaking. So the first thing that I want to speak about is something that's called forced perspective. And I'm going to go over to my fellow Melonhead Dave and see if he can tell us anything about what forced perspective is. Yeah, forced perspective is what they use for all the the Hobbit shots. Well, the Hobbit, a Hobbit and a man, basically, if they're in the Walked same... Walked into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah a hobbit and a man walk into the bar and they're in the same frame 
and basically if the camera's still facing the two of them they're the the actors aren't facing each other one of them let's say gandalf is nearer to the camera and frodo would pretend to be facing gandalf and looking him in the eye but he's actually further back so he's looking smaller Right, exactly. So in the scenes, we already spoke about some of the some of the scenes were shot using blue screen where they're together, uh, but they're actually not being shot together. So that's a whole, you know, technological advancement that you can use that. But in, in some of the scenes, they used forced perspective, which was basically just uh, standing further away and making it look like uh, you were actually beside each other. So optical illusions, basically. Mm. Um, now, for example, in the, the first time that we see Gandalf arriving into uh, into the Shire and Frodo jumps into the cart and then they come along together. In that scene, Elijah Wood is sitting beside Ian McKellen. Now, when I say beside, I shouldn't say directly beside him, but that's not a trick of the camera. That, sorry, that's not a that's not a blue screen. That's those those scenes were shot with Frodo and Gandalf together, as in Elijah Wood and Sir Ian McKellen were together for those scenes. However, the angle of the camera was positioned so that uh, it seemed like they were sitting right beside each other. But what was actually happening was Elijah Wood was sitting further back, further away from the camera on a smaller seat. And he was looking up to his left and he was looking behind Ian McKellen's head. And from our from our view, from our perspective, it looked like he was uh, looking up at Gandalf. And uh, it's, it's just incredible. a trick of the camera. It's, it's amazing. It's like, incredible it's, it's the so, way it looks like. You can't, you can't see it. You can't see the the... The trick, it's its just really, really amazing. No, so yeah. that is that is really, really cool. Now, however, in that scene, the camera is fairly stable and it's always looking at Gandalf and Frodo together coming in. So it's not, in terms of filmmaking or in terms of that kind of forced perspective, that's not so difficult for uh, filmmakers to do, to be able to get it when the camera is in place. Now, when the camera is moving, that is where it's really, really difficult. And this is where... Lord of the Rings really had some amazing things, especially, for example, when Gandalf and Frodo were having uh, having supper and they were having tea yeah. uh, in Bag End. And that is a really, really incredible scene because they even have the steam from the tea floating overhead. So you can see that this is a real scene because they, they that, that steam is really would be impossible to blend into both screens if uh, if they were shot on blue screen or if mm. they were shot separately so that kind of steam was almost proving to people that uh, know about that style of shooting that this was one scene shot together so how they did that was didn't they have like a big corner of a table and like a small corner on a motor and then basically had a camera on a on a motor that was like going at the same speed of yeah table. basically what they had was they had frodo sitting at a big table which looked like a regular sized table with all of his normal sized um uh, plates and knives and forks etc and then they had gandalf sitting closer to the camera on a movable chair and on a he had a, a tiny little table and it was just like a section of a table with a really tiny plate and tiny cups and all this sort of tiny props and his table moved relative to the movement of the camera. Mm. So as the camera moved around, Cam- uh, Gandalf sat on a movable table, which which swings around as well. And it just looks like the table is one full table, but it's actually two separate tables yeah. that were sort of blended in together. And uh, again... Forcing the perspective. Exactly. That's where it gets the name from. But uh, that that was such a huge... They had to 
build all of this incredible set for like a two second scene where we just see the camera move around the table and uh, again so nuts like just incredible just like such unnecessary details but you could see that peter jackson was like i want to have this shot and i want to you know i want to do it in a cool way yeah i feel like he's just showing off there in his filmmaking he's like Mm. especially with the steam it's kind of like a little easter egg for other filmmakers to be like okay I, i think i know what they did they just had like a blue screen and then you see the steam and they're like but wait that's not possible. How did they do it? So, yeah. uh, and you could tell the way he was doing the films, he wanted an extra two DVDs of behind the scenes source material. Like, <laughs> there was loads of times where, where, where when you're watching the behind the scenes, Peter Jackson's like, I'm just going to grab my camera so I can go up and like record Alan Lee, like writing down or drawing pictures of Hobbiton. And mm. he's always just trying to capture people doing things because yeah he knew he knew it was well, there was so much there was so much going on behind the scenes that was incredible like mm. alan lee's uh, illustrations are so amazing as well i think it's affecting me another practical trick that was used in the lord of the rings filming in the fellowship of the ring is where ian Holm, who played bilbo drops the ring onto the floor when he's leaving bag end um dave can you tell us anything about what was what happened in that scene or in the filming of it yeah like in 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 the movie he drops the ring and it just lands on the floor like tud really really loudly yeah and obviously they wouldn't be able to do that which is a normal ring prop so it would have just bounced all around the place so i believe they had it magnetized and they magnetized the floor as well so that when it drops it would stick Yes, they used, uh, well, the the ring was metal, so they basically just created a magnetic floor. Yeah, so that right. entire, that entire uh, like slab of that floor was, was it just a giant magnet? So when he drops the ring, it just like, it, 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 it kind of adds this incredible weight to mm. the ring and it makes the ring seem incredibly heavy because as you said, a normal ring will like fall on the ground and bounce around a little bit. That would have been so funny, like. Bilbo, and he drops it and it's like gone under a chair or something like, where, where is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, um, for me, I, that's one of my favorite scenes in the Fellowship. It's such a uh, mm. small and like, uh, I don't know, maybe for other people it's such an insignificant scene, but where they zoom in and this ring just falls down and they also added the a really loud uh, thud. That was obviously, that. that's not the real sound of the yeah, ring. Yeah. But they added that in as well in the post as well. And it just makes the ring seem so heavy when it falls onto mm. the ground. And uh, that's so cool as well. Yeah, I love that. During the Council of Elrond in the Fellowship of the Ring, there is a scene where we see um, all the members of the Council, well, all the members who are in, at the meeting uh, kind of stand up and they start to get angry and the camera zooms in on the ring and we can see in the ring a reflection of all of the characters kind of shouting and uh, arguing and do oh, yeah. you know anything about that scene Dave do you know how that was how that was shot um no but well I I know that they had a big giant ring prop on set so I'm yep I'm assuming is that is that the answer? They just had a big massive ring and they filmed. So that's the real reflection, yeah. yeah? Exactly. They bit yeah, that's the real reflection. That's a huge ring that they actually okay, built cool. specifically for that scene. So they built a giant ring and then they just plopped down onto that uh, little little surface ah. and they actually recorded the real reflection of those people, which was so well done. Cuz yeah, I I remember hearing before about this giant ring that they used, but I didn't know it was for that scene. I think I think wherever I saw that fact, it showed the picture of the ring 
with the chain on it on the snowy mountain when Frodo like falls mm. and maybe I don't know was it used there do you know I know what you're speaking about I've definitely read something about that scene as well but I uh, I didn't come across that recently in my research so I can't because say. I was thinking like they could have used any size ring for that scene but it makes more sense the one you're talking about the the Council of Elrond scene they would have needed a huge ring for that yeah, exactly. I don't know about the, the the scene where the ring falls off Frodo's neck on the on the mountains, but um, I don't. Know, I love that scene as well. The ring seems so shiny. Yeah, it's just so like shiny. it's sitting there with the with the snow uh, and the beautiful like blue sky in the background. But um, it really uh, looks class. Anyway, um, I don't know if that's a, a a giant ring in that scene, but I know that this, the scene in the Castle of Elrond that's definitely where they use that giant ring. Mm. It is a strange fate that we should suffer so much fear and doubt over so small a thing. In another scene where the hobbits are checking in at the prancing pony in Bree, uh, they speak to Butterbur and they are looking up at a counter and Butterbur is looking looking down at them. So obviously that's just shot with two different angles, one angle looking down uh, with a giant countertop uh, and the hobbits are standing in front of it. And the second one is looking up at Butterbur from the Hobbit's perspective. So that's quite easy to see how they shot that. However, there's one really, really cool detail is when the Hobbits are standing in front of the countertop, they're looking up and suddenly we see a full-size man walking through the four Hobbits. He's walk- like there's, He walks bet- uh, through the group of them. And uh, you, can just, you can't see his face, but you can see the, the body of the man and his hands walking past. And how did they shoot that? Yeah, I remember this one specifically. He just like walks through and he kind of just does a gesture with his hands to say like, excuse me, and then walks through them. Yeah. They, didn't they get like a guy on stilts and have actual like fake hands and fake arms and like programmed <laughs> it to like his hands to move out? Uh, and then they just had a normal head on top, but they, they didn't need the head, right? Like it was just a normal guy up up there. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. So uh, this, this, this is what they called the big rig, and it was a, uh, it was just a giant mechanical uh, mannequin with animatronic hands. And so as he was walking by, his hands, we can see him like as you said, he gives a little sort of hand gesture, and those, those are fake hands; yeah. they're not real hands. So uh, yeah, dead. Uh, they built that just for that scene, so he could walk by. No, I, I always watch hand. that scene, or any time yeah, that yeah, scene comes too, on, I'm always too. looking at his hands, and they look perfect. Like, and all they had to do is mm. that one little motion of like, "Excuse me." <laughs> Wait a second! These are fake hands. Yeah, it's so much work again for such a small scene. But again, as we were saying before, that's probably Peter Jackson trying to. Uh, I don't know, trying to prove to the the expert eyes that watch this movie that actually, look at this, this is incredible. Yeah. And because normally if we just see like uh, a camera shot looking down at the hobbits and then another camera shot looking up at the barman, you're like, oh, I can see what's happening here. I can see that the, it's just the camera angle. But that's yeah. just one more kind of like, one more one more thing for people to go, wait a minute, how did they get that guy there? Yeah, but you, d- you don't even think that because you're so immersed in it. You just believe true. that the hobbits are yeah. small and... And like normally when you see that big giant man walking past or a normal sized man, you just don't think anything about it because you've already, your eyes are already um, believing everything that they're seeing. And do you get, do you, do you, for me, I always get like weirded out when I see photos of behind the scenes of like Frodo standing beside Gandalf and they're the same height. And I, and I'm like, what's going on? What happened to Frodo? How did he get so big? And I'm like... Because it's like, it's like Elijah Wood is pretty much the same height as like Ian McKellen. So 
uh, it's just it always looks so weird whenever I see that. And yeah, I, like I tweeted that out before the picture of I think it was Mary and Pippin with Gandalf, and I was like, "What the hell? What happened to Gandalf? It looks like he shrank." Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's weird. He's put in the wash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that's how well the movie's been made. That like whenever we see that now, we're kind of thinking there's a mistake with this photograph yeah. because these guys are obviously not the same, the same size. Um, so it's so well done. Mm. Um, the last thing I wanted to speak about with the practical side of things was not a set, but it was just a scene that was shot that was so difficult to shoot. And that is a scene where Gandalf catches the moth on top of Orthanc. Um, now, the reason this was so difficult was due to the incredibly short lifespan of this type of moth. So this moth <laughs> that, was actually, that was actually shot in the final scene, the final scene that we see on camera, that moth was born the morning of filming wow. and died immediately after filming finished with Ian McKellen. Oh my so gosh. It was extremely difficult to work with a, a creature with such a short lifespan. So uh, yeah, that was just a really difficult thing for them to shoot. Oh, that's awful. That's awful to hear. They should have had like a little disclaimer at the end. No moths were harmed in the filming. They all died yeah, of right. natural causes. <laughs> yeah. That's they died of so old age. Bizarre. They were 17 hours old. Yeah. Jeez. Did they yeah, not turn into crazy, butterflies? Isn't it? Oh no, that's caterpillars. <laughs> <laughs> they should have got a caterpillar and Gandalf like whispered to it and then just like released it and it just turned into a butterfly. That would have been that would have been beautiful. That would have been gorgeous. Or he just like throws the caterpillar off or thank and then he's like, Goodbye. <laughs> that's Saruman of many colours. He's the one that gets the butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> he gets the wings. That's so funny. I never heard that before. There is only one Lord of the Ring. Does not share power. Well, that's all from us this week on the Council of Elrond. We really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode about the technologies and techniques used in the filming of the Lord of the Rings movies. If you haven't already seen the extras and behind-the-scenes footage in the extended versions of the Lord of the Rings movies, we would highly recommend you get your hands on a copy. The work that went into the design of sets and makeup was truly staggering. A big thank you to all of our regular listeners who have been interacting with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you don't already follow us, you can find the links to our official Melonhead social medias in the podcast info section. That's all from us this week, folks. See you next time on the Council of Elrond. <laughs>